Well, good morning. We are starting a brand new series today called Real Religion, and we're going to be in this series for the next five weeks, just over the course of the summer. Um, And what we're going to discover in the next five weeks is what real religion is. Now, if you were to go to a party, or you were to go on a date, or you are to go on a business meeting, there are two things that you should never discuss. First one is politics. Second one is religion, right? Nobody wants to talk about politics. Well, it's kind of interesting right now because of the presidential uh, 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 campaign that's going on. And and is Donald Trump really going to like run for president? I mean, he is, but is he going to get anywhere? That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it, to see him? You know, his flare hair flapping everywhere and stuff. I mean, that would be fun. But anyway, but you don't talk about politics and you certainly don't talk about religion because nobody really wants to know what you really believe and they don't want you to try to convert them either. So you never talk about religion. I remember when I was at school, I, uh, uh, I would get made fun of a lot because my dad was a preacher. And so there was a song years ago because he's the son of a preacher man. And so they would, they would sing that to me all the time and stuff. But they would always call me like this religious freak and everything. I mean, I was a cool guy. It's like I had lots of friends, but they just always call me this religious freak. And I would always say, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. They're like, of course you do. You go to church. And, and I realized as I got older, it was, yeah, I am religious. And, uh, and, and I am a religious person. And, and so are you. I mean, the fact that you came to church this morning in our culture, going to church is a religious act. And so you partook in a religious act by coming to church today. But if I was to ask you, what does the word religion mean to you? What would you think? If I said to you, what does religion mean to you? What would you define it as? How would you think about religion? You know, most people would think, well, it's, it, it's a certain belief. It's a, it's a certain way that we follow or certain faith that we follow, like Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, something like that. That's what most people think. Or others think it's, it, it's, a, it's a group of people that you associate yourselves with. Others people are confused by religion. They don't know what is authentic and what is fake, what is real and, and, and what is not. They, they don't know if it's just, uh, if there really is a God or, or, or there is a God. A lot of people are confused by religion and then other people just plain hate religion. They, they hate it so much they think it's divisive. They think religion is something that, uh, that causes hate, that has caused uh, lots of wars and lots of of fractions and divisions amongst mankind, and they don't want anything to do with religion at all. But yet religion, in its true form, in its true sense, in what it really means, is actually a beautiful thing. And the only reason it's become this uh, taboo a subject that we don't talk about, we don't like to, to discuss, is because over the centuries, mankind has taken this thing that we call religion and has started to contaminate it, pollute it, and defile it so much now that we don't even want to talk about it at parties. But real religion, in its true sense, is life-changing, it is life-giving, and it is contagious, and people want it, and if you had it, you would be at a party, or you would be on a date, or in a business meeting, and people would really want to talk about it, because real religion is life-giving. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't need religion? 
You know, we've all people like, I don't need religion. Don't preach to me. I don't need re- religion. You, you even have those uh, 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 like, uh, th- like door hangers now that you hang on your front door. So if, if you get a, a salesman come or, or, or somebody come or you, you get a religious group knocking on your door, it says on there, it's like, we don't need new windows. We don't need new cars. We found Jesus. We don't need religion. You know, and people, people say that. It's like, I don't need religion. And the reality, really what they're saying is, I don't need this this contaminated, polluted view of religion now that we have of the world. So, in 1991, there was a song that came out by a band called R.E.M. Now, most of you, some of you weren't even born in 1991. Others, it was your glory years in 1991, right? You're like, the life was wonderful in 1991. But in 1991, there was this band called R.E.M. that they were at the, at the top of, of, uh, of their game, and they came out with this song called Losing My Religion. Uh, it, it got to the top of the billboard uh, charts, and it went all around the world. It made them a boatload of money. And in this song, uh, there's a chorus, and the chorus goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. Even though I don't think they were that great singers anyway, R.E.M. But anyway, um, this is what it says. I'll, I'll say what the words are. It says, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight, losing my religion, trying to keep up with you, and I don't know if I can. It's like the lyrics weren't that great, I mean, but it made a lot of money. But this song, actually, Losing My Religion, it was actually about a love relationship. Uh, and it was about the difficulties in this relationship. And if you come from the deep south, if you come from like Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi, then the word, the term, losing my religion, actually means at the end of my rope. And so what REM was singing, they were basically saying that I'm at the end of my rope in this relationship. He was saying, here's me in the corner, here's me in the spotlight, I'm at the end of my rope with this relationship. And even though they, the song really wasn't about religion, a lot of people feel like that about religion. They feel like they are at the end of their rope, that they want to lose their religion. And I've got news for you today, and, and, and don't judge me, and don't think I'm terrible, just hear me out. But even though I'm a pastor of a church, I'm kind of at the end of my rope with our religion. I'm at the end of our, my rope with this religion that we call Christianity in 2015. And the reason I say that is because I'm at a place where I feel like I need to lose my religion. And this is why, because over the last 15 years, and, and not everybody's like this, but it's becoming a trend that we are now living in, in a time where the true form of Christianity, of what it was all about, is starting to get polluted and contaminated into this thing that I call a consumer culture. And this is what I mean by it, is we now come to God, not because of who God is, but because of what God can do for us. So we come to God because we need God and we want something from God. We go to church, not because of what we can bring to that church, but we go to church because we want something from that church. They can offer us stuff. They can do things for our family or our marriages and that they can help us in in different ways. And so we have got to this place where it's not so much about God, 
It's about us. And I'll be honest with you, uh, and, and really we, we should repent to God for it, is over the five years that we've been in existence as a church, there have been some decisions that we've made. And our first thought was, what do people need instead of what does God want? You know, and, and, and because we feed into this consumer culture, it's all about what we want, me, 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 me. And, and I'll be honest, and we're, we're seeing more and more of it, it leaves us flat and dead and unsatisfied. Because when we chase after what we want, what we want, what we want, we never get satisfied. And so what we find, we find lots of people coming into the doors of the church, but lots of people are leaving outside the church because they'll stay for a while and realize that this religion really isn't satisfying. And that's what you'll find with a polluted, contaminated religion, that, that, it, that lots of people come and, uh, and try to follow a faith, and then they find there's no substance, it's void uh, of anything real, and they find that they do not get satisfied from it, and so they turn away, they step out in faith, and then they don't get what, what they thought they were going to get out of it, and they start to lose their religion. And so I feel at times that we go off track with our religion. So if we go off track, then what do we do? We go to the Bible. That's like a novel idea, right? It's like, hey, how about go to the Bible? See, the Bible for us is this foundation. It's an anchor of truth. And so if we ever find our lives going off track in any way, we should always come back to the Bible because the Bible anchors us to the truth of God. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to go to the Bible. I want us to go to James chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. And I want us to take a look at what the Bible says is actually real, authentic religion. Now, we're not, this isn't going to be a study in James, this series. We did a study in James about two years ago called Life's Better with Jimmies. It was like one of my favorite series that we did. We like gave out candy at the end of every sermon after the series and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun, but it was all about the book of James. So if you want to hear that, you can always go online to the website and, 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 and find that series. Uh, but this is what James says in James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He said, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So here in these two verses, in this statement, James gives us a definition of what real religion is. Now, before we go any further, I want to say that in the world that we live in, we've even corrupted the world, the word religion, the definition of the word religion. Most of us, when we think of religion, we think of, uh, of, uh, of people's faith or their belief. But here, it, James meant something totally different to what we think as religion. See, James is a guy who was born into a Jewish culture. He, he was born into Jewish customs, brought up in Jewish practices, followed the Jewish faith. And then later in life, he found Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Jesus came and changed his life completely. 
And, and, and so he started following Jesus and he started seeing other people who were Jewish at birth, who were born up under the Jewish customs and practices, and they started finding Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior again. See, when, G- when you meet Jesus, Jesus changes your life completely. And these Jews, they grew up when the Roman Empire was at its height. And they started to scatter around the Roman Empire. So they were in Europe and they were in Africa and all around, not just in this region, Judea or Jerusalem. But what James started to see that these people who grew up in these Jewish customs were getting confused by their new religion. They were getting confused by this new faith. You see, in the Jewish culture, you were brought up with certain practices, certain customs and traditions that you had to do to appease God. You, you, there would be acts of worship. There would be acts of sacrifice, different things that you had to do to please God. And now this new faith that they had, this new Christian faith, had none of these strict guidelines or practices that they were living in before they had before. And so they were getting confused before between their former Jewish practices and now their new Christian beliefs. And one aspect for the Jewish believers that they found difficult was in the aspect of worship. The aspect of worship. And James, the book of James, is a wonderful book. It's all about just practical advice about how to live your life for Jesus and how to worship God. I mean, that's in a nutshell, James. But these Jewish believers, see, they had grown up that there were certain customs and practices that you had to do to worship God. So what you would have to do is, is you would bring like a, a goat or a bull or a lamb uh, uh, to the temple to, to worship God. Or you would bring grain or different crops that you grew to worship God. I'm so pleased that we don't have those customs anymore. Could you imagine like you guys bringing all these animals? I'd be like, oh, get them out of here. I mean, the stench would be nasty. So who'd want to go to church, you know, when there's like bulls and goats and everything? Anyway, that's what they did, you know. So what happened is these Jewish people, they were so accustomed to a rigid way of worship. Now under this new Christian faith, they were confused as to what worship really was. And so then James makes this statement. He says, if you do not control your tongue, firstly, you're fooling yourself. Then he said, but your religion is worthless. Then he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is caring for orphans and widows in their distress and not letting the world corrupt you. The word religion here that James uses actually can be translated as the word worship. And so what James is saying, he's saying that if you don't control your tongue, if you just let your tongue say whatever you want, then you're fooling yourself and your worship unto God is worthless. He's saying pure and genuine worship in the sight of God is, is reaching out to others in need and not letting, the wor- not letting the world corrupt you. So he's saying to these former Jews, basically you need to lose your religion and discover this new one. Lose the way that you were worshipping before and worship God in a different way. So when we think about worship, 
in our culture, the way that we are, this is what we think. We think of music, right? We think of songs. We think of coming to church, the thing that we do before the sermon. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I mean, even here at our church, we have a time of worship, we have a worship band, and that's what we think worship is. So if you ask people, you're like, how do you worship? Or what is your worship? This is what people say. I'm a traditional worshiper. Do you know what that means? That means I like songs from the 19th century. That's what that means. I mean, that's what we think traditional. Others will say, I'm a, I, I'm a, a back-in-the-day worshiper. What that means is I like songs from the 90s and the 80s. And let me just tell you, Christian songs from the 90s and 80s should never be heard again. They were terrible. I mean, honestly. Then others say, I'm a contemporary worshiper. And what they're basically saying is, I like the songs on 95.1 FM, you know? That's what they like. Even though some of those songs are pretty lame as well. But... But that's what they're saying. That's what people are saying. Then others, you say, well, how do you worship? And they say, well, I am an extravagant worshiper. This is what people mean when they say that. I am somebody who I don't care what anybody else looks at. I'm just going to go crazy in the house of God. I'm going to stand on the, sit on the front row, stand on the front row, and I'm going to sing as loud as I can, even though I can't sing in tune. I'm going to like put my hands everywhere. I'm even going to do a few little quick steps. I maybe even do some like pong, pogoing, like jumping. That's what, that's what an extravagant worship is. Actually, I'd probably classify myself as an extravagant worship, but, but I can't sing in tune either. So that's what people think, or others would say, I am a reserved worshiper. That means I just don't show any emotion on my face at all. And then you say to other people, well, how do you worship? And what they mean is by where do I go to church? Oh, I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Catholic. That's what some people think. I'm a non-denominational, whatever that means, even though we're a non-denominational church, right? That's what people think when they worship. But have you noticed what James says here? He says nothing about music. He says nothing about the style of church. Do you know what James is saying? He's saying worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. And there's two forms here that that he gives us. He gives us an active worship, an active lifestyle, and a passive worship, a passive lifestyle. And what I mean by that, it's active. He says, he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. It's about what we do with our hands. It's about how we reach out to others and, and what we do on the outside. And then he says, and it's also pure, genuine religion is not letting the world corrupt you. That's passive. That, that's what God has done on the inside of you. That's letting, uh, or, or the way that we control our minds is about letting God transform our minds with his truth. One of, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I've said it so many times from, from here. It's found in Romans and it's this. It says, it says, let God transform your mind by changing the way that you think. See, when we let God transform our mind, he changes the way that we think and we worship him in a passive way because we want to live for him and not for ourselves. In fact, Jesus actually said something very similar to what James said. And it's found in John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. This is what Jesus said. He said this to his disciples. He said, 
But the time is coming indeed. It's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus gives us two ways that we worship. We worship in spirit and we worship in truth. This is both active and it's both passive. What I mean by this is if we worship in spirit, most people when they read this, they think like Holy Spirit, like the Spirit of God. We worship the Spirit of God. And the word that Jesus uses actually doesn't refer to God. It actually means the spirit of man, that we worship through our own spirits, like the spirit within you, the spirit that gives you fight, the spirit that gives you passion, the spirit that, that, that enables you to get through the day, the, the spirit that keeps you holding on. It's through who you are as a person that's active. We, we, we show it through, through our spirit and our actions and the things that we do. But Jesus also says we worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is passive. Like I said, it's about allowing the truth of God transform you and guide you. So both here, we've got James and Jesus, both saying worship is active and it is passive. So when you think about your religion, right now, your religion, the thing that, that you follow, the thing that you believe in, Is it pure worship unto God? Is it pure worship unto God? Is your spirit moved to act as Jesus would act? Is your mind anchored by the truth of God that shapes your mind? You may say, well, what is worship, really? What is worship? Worship, in a simple term, is easy to define. It means bringing our worth onto God. So the Jewish people, they would breed bulls or breed goats or sheep or they would farm land and have crops. And this is what they would do. They would come and get the best of what they've got and they would come to the temple and bring it to God. They would bring in their worth onto God. What are you bringing to God in your life? What, what, what of worth of you bringing to God? I'm not, I'm not talking about bringing money. I'm talking about your lifestyle, the, the way that you live. What are you bringing to God? When you think about your life right now, what of worth are you bringing through a pure spirit and a transformed mind? Or are you bringing just polluted worship unto God? As you came into this place today, this house of worship, even though it's not really like a house and, you know, it's just a normal building with some like dark and then some lights and that's it. But we call it a house of worship. When you came into this place today, what did you bring? What did you bring today? In your lifestyle, in the way that you live your life, what did you bring into this place today? Did you bring all the baggage uh, of, of the things that are going on in your life right now? Or all the different stuff that, 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 that is going on? Did you bring that to God? Or did you bring pure worship unto God and bring your worth? Did you bring your best or your worst unto God? 
As you came into this house of worship today, where was your mind at? Where was your mind at? Was your mind about all the things that you got to do? Like, I got to get out of here. I got to run by Target. We got to get dinner. Then we got to get kids out. We got a birthday party we got to go to. Then we got another birthday party. Then we got a retirement party and we got to fit this all in. They got to cut the grass. You know, I mean, that's what we do on Sundays, right? It's after. It's like, I hope the guy up front doesn't go longer than like an hour because, oh my word, you know? Don't worry, I'm not going to go an hour. Don't worry. Or did you come with your mind fixed on Jesus, your mind fixed on God and what God has done for you? See, one way is pure worship. It is life-changing. It is life-giving. It is contagious and you want it. The other is polluted worship, polluted religion. It's, it's a worship that just leaves you flat, leaves you void. It leaves you unsatisfied. See, there's a difference between those who worship in a pure way, bringing their worth onto God, to those who bring a contaminated worship onto God or not their best. See, when worship is more about what I can get out of it, when worship is not backed by a lifestyle that pleases God, when worship is more about practices and customs and traditions, then James has news for you. And I'm sorry to say the news isn't good. This is what James says. Your worship is worthless. How sad is that? He's basically saying the fact that you went to church, the, the fact that, that, that you know, you, you tried to live a Christian life, it, if it's not pure, then it's worthless. You might as well have done something else. That's what James is saying. But when you come to God in an act of pure worship, when you come in spirit and in truth and bring your best and your worth onto God, when you allow your actions to reach out to others, and we'll talk about that next week, we'll talk about uh, about what it means to care for orphans and widows in their distress, we'll talk about learning to do good, seeking justice, and, and how we can actually be active in our worship but when you come like that, when you stay, uh, or when, when, when the truth of, uh, of God's word just transforms your mind and your thinking is on God, then there is a promise for you. And I love this promise. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus was teaching to multiples of people in a section of the Bible that's called the Sermon on the Mount. A long uh, uh, piece of writing that has a bunch of different things, real nuggets of wisdom and, and godly truth. And in there, there was a section of just a couple of verses called the Beatitudes. And this is what Jesus said to the multitudes. Verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Another way to say it is God blesses the pure in heart. Then this is the promise. For they will see God. When you come to God in a pure way, when your worship is pure before God, when, when you come with a pure, real, genuine religion before God, then the promise is this. You will see God. I'll be honest. Who, who doesn't want to see God? Who doesn't want to see God? Everyone wants to see God. Even people who don't believe in God, they're like, well, if there's a God, I want to see him. 
Everybody wants to see God. And this is the promise for you. If you worship in a pure way, if you get a real religion and follow real religion, not contaminated, polluted religion, then the promise is you will see God. How do you see God? Well, you see God in the actions that you do when you start reaching out your hand to help others. You see how God uses you. You see God in situations. You see how God starts to help other people in their life. And you start to realize, wow, this is the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my life because I'm seeing God. You start to see God in your own life because you start to see how your mind is transformed. And you start to see a mind that is changed. And now you start to see God where you saw nothing before. Now you start to sense God where you sense nothing before. Because the pure in heart, they will see God. And it all starts with pure worship. And a religion that is real and genuine. It is a religion that no one can reject. It's a religion that nobody wants to resist. Because it's a religion that brings life and love to a world that is contaminated and corrupted. I don't know about you today, but I want real religion. I don't want to play at church. I don't want just a, a nominal Christianity that I just come and get what I want out of it. But I want real religion. I want a real God. And I want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because I want to see God. Let's bow our heads in prayer.